Welcome to the Teach and Coach GA podcast, where each week we will learn how Georgia's teachers are reaching and engaging their students. Welcome to episode two of the Teach and Coach GA podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again. This is Daniel Barks from teachandcoachga.com. This week, we're going to sit down with PK Graff, who is a virtual school teacher, full-time, 100%, even before the pandemic, building and teaching online courses and helping teachers on the best ways to implement those courses. So I thought PK would be a great person to sit down and talk with, as so many of us are struggling with uh, online practice and you know, sort of how's the best way to reach these students, especially what PK specializes in, in math and science. How do we make that engaging and interesting for our students in an online online setting? So sitting down this week with PK to, uh, to chat about online learning, particularly in math and science. So if you know somebody that teaches math and science or if they're struggling with online learning, I hope you'll share this episode with them. All right, let's jump in with PK. All right, this week sitting down with my friend PK Graff. PK, thank you for joining me. Yeah, thank you for ha- having me, Daniel. So PK and I worked together for a very short amount of time, unfortunately for a year yeah. uh, before I uh, quote unquote retired. I don't know, you know, I still do a little bit of part time work uh, with the school system I was at before, but uh, but PK is still there in a, in a similar role as what I did, creating courses and creating content, uh, supporting teachers. Uh, particularly in online education. And, and that's sort of a huge thing right now. As some people don't have a choice, they have to be online and others uh, uh, do have the choice to, to try online or, or in, uh, in the face-to-face classroom. So PK, where is your, uh, before we jump into sort of the online world, what, what is your background in education? How did you, how did you get into this? You know, what uh, sort of, what's your past experience coming in as, as uh, we're in a weird year of 2020? Yeah. Well, in kind with this weird year of 2020, I've taken a very weird or circuitous route to uh, the role I'm in now. Uh, I actually started my career as a chemical engineer. And from there, um, I realized that I missed academia. And so I started uh, probing around and I found a little private school in Alpharetta that was looking for a science teacher. And so I jumped into the classroom I did that for about five years, and then I went to the STEM Academy in Forsyth, and I taught there. um, I taught engineering and robotics, which was amazing. And then I had an opportunity fall in my lap to take some intellectual property that I had, uh, an app that I developed, and take it out into the marketplace. And so I did that and uh, was really successful with it, let that go, um, kind of gave it, gave it uh, to the powers that be, and um, actually circled back to higher education and ended up at Georgia Tech, where I was a research scientist uh, working in doing research in uh, the realm of equity in computer science and how um, to bring more equitable experiences to students in districts like Atlanta Public Schools. Uh, and then uh, the, uh, the, the clouds parted and another amazing opportunity came up to come work with Daniel and Forsyth Virtual Academy, 
Um, and so taking on that role of what then we were referring to as a content specialist and now we call an instructional designer um, has been an amazing uh, opportunity. And COVID has just amplified the impact that we have. And I work with in the ballpark of two or 300 different teachers uh, through uh, this course lead model that we have. And basically anything that's six through 12 math or science, I'm, I'm working with that content. So um, pretty, pretty large swath of material for the, the secondary uh, science and math education. There, there is, there is so much to unpack there with that statement, PK. I, I'm going to start with, I missed academia, which is a statement that has never come out of my mouth ever. Uh, I missed academia. So if it's, you haven't noticed, I, PK on, on an intelligence level is about uh, 75 rungs above me and there's only 10 rungs on the ladder. Uh, so uh, PK is, is extremely bright with the things that, uh, that he's doing in education. So that is, that is awesome. That is a, that's quite the twist and turns to uh, to get to where you are for sure. Yeah, um, I, I I've got to actually. I'm looking straight at it. I've got a sign right ahead of me that says "Make moves or make excuses." And I I love learning and I love doing new things. Uh, I my favorite T-shirt, which I don't have on right now, is uh, I run on caffeine, uh, chaos, and another term, but I'm not going to say it because this is an educational podcast. Um, but that, that chaos piece, uh, I like to wrangle chaos and I like to work with it and, and massage it and mold it into something great and grand. So just so happens that I stumbled into a role that would give me that opportunity. <laughs> it, it is a, an awesome and unique role. I, I, I completely agree with you. And, and you have probably the hardest of all those roles, right? Like I taught I taught and created social studies courses while I was there with you and uh, loved every minute of it and, and, and miss it at times. Although now I'm blessed to be able to, to stay at home with my two little ones and uh, do things like this, a podcast and, and be able to talk and share amazing things that teachers are doing. But, but you have a, a little bit harder role in the fact that you have subjects that don't necessarily always translate as easy, or may, maybe people don't think translate as easy to online, the online world. So you know, I'm sure there's a lot of math teachers listening or, or people that know math teachers who are struggling right now with, with online education. So how are you taking, you know, that math curriculum and putting it online in, in a meaningful way for students that, that engages them to want to actually learn math? Because to add to that, I, I was a horrible math student, right? So mm -hmm. I, I had a hard time learning math in the classroom. Uh, so what are you doing to sort of grab kids that are you know, have so many other distractions at home and really engage those kids with math. So one of the subjects that I've been able to really dig in deep with is uh, pre-calculus and accelerated pre-cal specifically. And one of the ways that we've really engaged with the students and seen a lot of value and, in, in, uh, I guess, pr improved productivity is uh, by building in project-based learning and finding a project that reinforces the content or the curriculum that was covered in the unit or the section, whatever, uh, the module that you're working on, giving the students time to digest the stuff that they're learning and then apply it to some sort of project that 
gives them student voice, um, gives them a chance to express how they see the content, uh, maybe how they see a solution in the content uh, or in the area or in the curriculum. Um, so that, that's been a really cool thing, uh, you know, with, um, like the conics unit, uh, using different shapes and circles and spheres and parabolas and hyperbolas and stuff to actually illustrate an image. And, uh, we had, you know, tons and tons of students come up with very, very unique, uh, illustrations. But then we also had students who took common, uh, items, uh, something maybe even as as familiar as a Mickey Mouse, and they recreated it using mathematical expressions, um, and then and then that was what they used to prove like this is how I understand the content that you just taught me, which is really cool. But it takes time, and it forces us as teachers to de-emphasize the test and focus more on like how can my students apply this knowledge that they just got. That is, that is awesome and makes my heart happy. And I, I knew you'd have a, a response like that for, from working with you and knowing sort of what our vision was all as a group in that room of trying to incorporate project-based learning and, and the impact that can have on students and that statement of de-emphasizing the test. I mean, that is that is huge, and, and that is a difficult thing, right? Because some teachers are saying, well, I, I don't have a choice, right? My principal is making me emphasize the test. But how does, how does that project-based learning, although we're not focused on that test, really get the students to perform better on that test? Where Are we seeing that learning is actually occurring better when they're doing and making and, and engaged with it than simply knowing, hey, this is how you do a quadratic equation? That's my only math term I could think of off the top of my head. <laughs> no, yeah, and you're, you're spot on. You actually hit on the follow-up point that I wanted to make. And that is, it's is, we're not doing away with the test. We're just de-emphasizing it and adding emphasis to application. And what happens when you give students the chance to apply what they've learned, they're probably going to get it wrong. But that's okay because we embrace the failure and encourage an iterative approach. So, okay, your first solution was not correct or didn't hit the mark exactly how you wanted or how you intended, but you need to keep working. You need to change this. You need to fix that in order to get to the point where your math works out to the solution that you intended. Now, the Mickey Mouse example, I'm saying that because we had a student who did this her first iteration, her first set of equations, she had about 15 equations to start with. It was kind of hard to tell what it was. It kind of looked more like a smiley face. But by the end, she had a fully un, unmistakable Mickey Mouse. And she made it with 111 equations that then built out a, a, a Mickey Mouse visage. And it was, I mean, it's per, it was perfect. For all intents and purposes, it was perfect. So, but she went from that model that was like, well, okay, yeah, sure, that looks something like that, to no, like that's legitimate. <laughs> it looks just like Mickey. Uh, we'll see you at Pixar next month or Disney next month. You know, like it, it's it was really cool. So that's that that's that value piece when it's when it's next to the test. 
when they're learning how to apply these equations, it's re- reinforcing their ability to use the uh, the or it's reinforcing their ability to use the equations to solve to solve kind of the cookie cutter type uh, the the you know multiple choice or the free response question types um, because they've massaged models themselves and figured out how to get things to work and get things to fit. And, you know, okay, if I flip this sign, it's going to change it this way. So when they get to a test and they see, you know, a question like that, they'll know exactly what's going to happen. So very cool stuff. Right. And, and to me, that that's the best part of project-based learning is, is simply the idea that you turned it in and that's great. But that doesn't mean you're necessarily done, right? Like, mm-hmm. yes, you can turn it in. But this is real world. Let's let's look and see how we can make this better. And in my class, it was a lot of times uh, video presentation or building some sort of presentation type thing to demonstrate knowledge of the of the concept. And we would oftentimes I would oftentimes give feedback and come back to them about making adjustments and improvements. And it sounds like you're doing that same kind of thing in math. So how how do you give feedback online in the online world uh, that uh, that is effective for kids? It varies widely. I have, <laughs> I have students who I, I may have never had traction with in the text format, uh, you know, replying to where they submit their assignment, replying to it with some text, like they just don't respond to that. But if I send them an instant message through our LMS, um, they are uh, more likely to engage and then I always include a link where they can jump on a video chat and and they'll come in and and you know we'll talk about it. They just don't want to sit there and, and text, which is odd for this generation, um, but it's not how they want to engage. Uh, whereas there are other students that um, will take to that feedback written into the assignment and uh, you know turn in uh, turn in a new version or work on it in you know in the Google Doc or whatever it is. Um, and then one of the other, one of the newer ways, or one of the ways that I is kind of new to me is where we have the ability to record audio. So instead of typing it out, you can record an audio file and then all I have to do is click play and listen to it. I haven't really quantified how effective that has been yet. Um, but it does seem to work pretty well. You know, students can, can just click play and listen to your feedback and choose what to do with it. So um, there are other ways that we have encouraged the students to share. For example, in AP Statistics, uh, we have project-based learning every single unit, um, and the part of the pro- part of every single project is the groupthink piece, trying to get the students to put their idea, all of their ideas together, and then push it out the other end and figure out what you know a final product should look like. And in statistics, it's really easy to get, uh, it's really easy to develop a statistical model that is biased. And so one of the things that we do is we try and get them to talk about biases in every study that we do. And the way that we do that is through, uh, you know, apps, uh, different apps like Padlet. um, And we we also use um, Flipgrid to get them talking and uh, kind of conversing to create that conversation and get that group think um, going so that 
when it comes time for the teacher to give feedback, the students have already been rolling and rolling and rolling with feedback. Uh, often it requires less work for the teacher. Um, so that's, that's, one, that's one, those are kind of two ways um, that I've really tried to, to push the feedback boundaries. So let's say I'm a, I'm a math teacher and I love what you're saying about this idea of project-based learning. I, I want to incorporate uh, a lesson, in, in, you know, after, uh, you know, this in the second semester of school, where would you recommend them start? Like reality is they're probably not going to be able to roll out this massive project-based learning thing. So did you have a recommendation maybe of, of something small they could do to get that ball rolling, get that momentum rolling for both themselves and their students with project-based learning? Yeah, definitely. There's, there's a, I'm going to segue with a topic that I hope every building principal is talking about, and that's SEL, socio-emotional learning, is extremely important right now. And so one, one way to introduce a project-based learning opportunity is to say, okay, I'm going to tone down the math content a little bit and focus more on you, the each individual student. And once you take that mentality, you can ask yourself this, these questions or this question. If, if the assignment, whatever it is, pick some curriculum, pick some standards that you want to focus on, two, one, whatever. Um, if it's not fun for you to make the project, and if it's not fun for you to grade the project, it's not going to be fun for the students to do it. And so if you can ask, answer that question, is this fun for me to make? Yes. Is this fun for me to grade? Yes. Then that project is going to fit the SEL of those students. And if you have focused on one or two standards, then you're good to go. Um, and, and that kind of has been my approach with my teachers that I work with throughout the county. Um, and, and I, many of them have picked it up. So it, but it's a radical shift. I mean, it's, it's a very, very different approach to coming up with a plan and a project and, you know, here's the rubric and all those things. It's more like, okay, what are the students going to want to do? What are they going to be interested in? And how can I get that? How can I let them express that in this project or in this work that they're going to be doing? And so if you go at it with that approach, I think that you'll be able to come up with something that's pretty cool and that your students will, again, if they're, if, if it's fun for you to make and fun for you to grade, then I guarantee it's going to be fun for them to do it. Yeah, that's, uh, that concept is such an important one and something, uh, from my time there at Forsyth Virtual Academy that I really picked up as well, but yeah, the idea of man, all teachers have sat there one evening grading something and looked at it and been like, "Oh my gosh, well this is <laughs> this is brutal, right?" And then you, it, maybe I'm the only I'm, I can't be the only one, but they've looked at it and thought, "Well, maybe I can just give everybody hundreds and we'll just call this a day. Like nobody's going to complain about that, right?" Like so, if you're in that situation and, and you're grading things, going, "This is terrible," then the students most likely had the same thought as they were doing it. So, uh, and, and that's okay. That's okay for us to, to realize that. But then we have, as teachers have to make that adjustment and realize, all right, well, how, how can I make this better? How can I make this more interesting for them to create and for me to grade? Uh, 
and uh, and yeah, that that approach is is a huge shift, but such but such an effective shift. That that is a huge thing. If you don't take away anything away from this podcast other than that, then then that is a huge deal. Yeah, um, for sure. So the other other uh, area, PK, I know math is a big part, science as well for you. And last year, uh, you were building a course uh, that I had the opportunity to see you make a lot of and see some of the things you were doing. It was really impressed and sort of blown away by it was a forensics course you were building. Um, So one, tell us a little bit of like just sort of some tidbits about that course you were making in forensic, but also, you know, how is something like that scalable? So I know you have this super creative background, but the next teacher that picks up that course, how, how is it built sort of to be scalable for them so that they can grab that course uh, that you've built for the County and for the kids and then make it, sort of sort of teach it just as effectively as you did. Yeah, so the cool thing about that course or the way that I built that course is that any teacher who picks it up by by opening the course and going into it, they they see they can see the material and the content and it teaches itself. The course basically teaches itself. It's built to be almost completely, it really could be entirely asynchronous. And it's not that I want it to be that it's, it's that I want the teacher to be able to focus on engaging with the students. So in the assignments on the projects, when, when they're doing their blood spatter lab, I want the teacher to be able to focus on the students and what they're creating as opposed to Oh, I need to make this and I have to work on those slides and I have to do this live session and I have to um, grade this assignment. Instead, all that's already done for them. All they have to worry about is, okay, so my students are going to be creating X, Y, and Z this week. I need to provide this kind of feedback here. This is where I'm going to be doing my main engagement. And then their final assessment, which is a project. I'm, I'm going to be looking for A, B, and C um, that they've completed, but I've already seen them do it through the week, you know? So it's like, I've already done, I've already, I've already kind of checked off those boxes and um, that is not easy to do. And it takes a lot of time to refine that process. And I had uh, for the first semester building that course, I was kind of on an Island And then I was able to rope in a few other forensic science teachers throughout the county and their input greatly shifted my approach because I started to see uh, I had a better picture of what it looks like to have a shell course or to have not even a shell course to have a, a course that's built and ready to roll. And when you hand it to somebody else, there's a lot that's lost in translation. I, I thought that would happen. I knew that would happen, but you don't really know the magnitude of that until you do it. And after handing it off to these teachers week by week, con, you know, unit by unit, um, I was able to refine that process. And then I went back through the first semester and basically refined the whole thing so that it was ready to just basically be plopped in any, any teacher's LMS. And, you know, it's like, Hey, here's your stuff for the entire year. And all you have to do is like click start and the, you know, they're put some dates in, you know, modify the dates a little bit and that's it. Um, so, but the, the, the course again, being project based, uh, you know, the students are creating things 
and then sharing them with each other and then, um, you know, turning those things in as their, you know, as their work, um, you know, creating things like Spark web pages or Google Sites. And um, they're, they're doing DIY labs. So they're going into their kitchen and getting ketchup and water to do a blood spatter lab um, on basically any surface that they can find, preferably white paper. But the point is that they're doing it, not as much that they're extracting all of the science or mathematical principles we're trying to get. We're just trying to get them to learn through experience. And then the course helps refine their knowledge and understanding um, through, you know, myself actually doing the lab, my, you know, with, with ketchup and water and stuff, and then sharing my results with them after they've turned their stuff in, um, it helps kind of close that loop and make sure everybody's on the same page without having to go through and grade every single little thing. Um, you know, cause you wouldn't, I wouldn't do that in a face-to-face forensics class. Um, you know, it's all about the experience. It's all about, um, taking Halloween blood, which we do it right around Halloween, taking the fake like vampire blood and putting it on a spatula and like throwing the spatula against the wall, which we did and watching what happens. And we had a bunch of cameras set up with slow-mo rolling and it, you know, the kids got to experience what that was like in a live session for virtual students. Um, so doing stuff like that is, is, is really cool. And it's just, you have to, you have to be willing to try these crazy things and tons of stuff didn't work. Like it just didn't work. It wasn't good. It wasn't effective and that's okay. It had to be done so that we would know that it's not that effective. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Behind the scenes, look, our office looked like a crime scene the day that PK was doing the blood splatter things. His hands were all blood soaked red from the ketchup. It was, he was guilty. Basically, if you walked in, if you were playing clue, it was PK in the office with the candlestick. Yeah, yeah, with a so, ruler. But, <laughs> there we go, with, with the, the ruler. ruler. With the ruler. Or the safety scissors. He, he broke apart the safety scissors. Things things got ugly. Yep. Yep. But uh, but that that is awesome. So I hope I hope listeners that are, are that are listening really take away the idea of project-based learning, the impact that can have really on any subject. Um, but also the ideas that PK is talking about of, you know, students are collaborating, students are communicating within the course. Uh, and that's something you really built into your courses and uh, I think is is unbelievably important, not just in face-to-face settings, obviously, but also in the online world. And particularly in this time of COVID where where some students aren't getting that interaction that they were before uh, on really any level. So, you know, some of these courses are are their places to communicate. So it's important that... Uh, that we we build those into our courses and uh, and really happy PK that you've you've done that for your students. Um, before we we wrap up, PK is is there anything that that you'd like to share? Some maybe any side projects you're doing, things that you're working on. I know that uh, you have a you, you juggle a lot of stuff uh, with all that you do. Yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness, I have a plethora of side projects. <laughs> uh, I would say that I have a couple that I would definitely like to share. I have been very blessed to be able to work with some folks at the state of Georgia and some of my peers that I worked with at Georgia Tech to develop some amazing computer science courses that are coming down the pipeline right now. And one of them is a Python. I'm going to use quotes and this is a podcast, but I'm going to use air quotes here. It is a Python course, but we're in the 
we're we are in the process of actually turning this into a Python pathway, CTAE pathway, a career technology pathway. And so I'm going to do everything in my power to bring that to fruition for next school year. And I'm really, really hoping that that will um, end up. I've already written, we've already written the first course, the introductory course to that Python pathway. But if you know uh, anything about computer science, the programming language Python is extremely valuable and it is a great uh, first uh, entry level text based coding language. So I'm really excited to see that um, come to be. And then the other course, the other main thing that I've been working on the state of Georgia uh, with Godot is the eSports course. And if you're not familiar with eSports, uh, Daniel can tell you all about it. He's a huge eSports fan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, eSports is, is oh, competitive man, gaming. Great. Um, you know, we, you can talk about sports, uh, esports, maybe not being, uh, uh, the best name for it, uh, whatever I'm, I'll, I'm going to refer to it as competitive gaming because that's an accurate description. Uh, this is a professional we'll argue industry. much less if you call it competitive gaming. Yeah. Right. It, the course is called esports. <laughs> um, you know, the, but what's, what's amazing is that this is, I'm going to, I might say the wrong number here. I apologize. It's like a 1.7 or $1.9 billion industry in Georgia. And it is going to outpace film and music combined by the end of 2022 in Georgia. So it is a massive revenue stream, a massive source of revenue for the state. There are gigantic companies that are right now looking at investing in Atlanta, investing in Georgia, Columbus, and Augusta um, with these esports uh, um, related um, companies, and so there is a massive, massive shift in in the way that people are consuming content. Right, uh, the the average gamer, I uh, the average gamer, I think that I saw was thirty two. I think if I'm not mistaken. So it's actually shifting upwards. It's and what what's really interesting about that is that advertising and marketing companies are recognizing that and shifting a lot of their uh, focus to how they can get in front of these gamers. So this esports course is not is not just about like competitive gaming, how to play a video game, which that is included as well. But it's also the marketing and the, the strategy of an organization and the, um, the, the business model that is esports, um, sponsorships, networking, all that sort of, uh, that's all that sort of stuff that builds an organization is, is really the, the heart of that esports course. And um, if, if you have interest in that industry, there are, there are basically limitless entry points, um, you know, anything from computer science and game design, but also if you have a, a human resources, if you have a business degree, marketing, um, you know, anything in the technology realm, IT is huge. Uh, right now, COVID has prevented a lot of the live gaming events from, from occurring um, in the traditional sense where you have crowds of 40, 50, 100,000 people. Um, but the IT part is still very important. 
for example, the Overwatch World Championships, which was held in November, there were over 1 billion hours of gameplay watched from just the championships. Uh, 1 billion hours of uh, a gameplay watched, and that was on 23 different platforms. So it is a gigantic industry. And I mean, it's, it's being right place, right time. Me having the opportunity to be able to spearhead this course and bring it to the state of Georgia for, for anyone to be able to have in their school and be able to study is a, is a huge blessing. But if you have any questions about it, or if you want to uh, talk about it or give some feedback, uh, um, you know, I'm, um, it's it's a work in progress, and that too, that also is going to likely become a CTAE pathway where it'll be one of three courses. Um, I don't know if it'll be the entry level or the second or third or whatever, but yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be exciting to see where these the Python and the esports stuffs goes um, for sure. That is that is awesome, PK. Well, thank you for all that you're doing in education, man, and and making it an awesome, awesome experience for kids. Uh, that, that matters. Uh, it really does. And, and uh, I'll, I'll say for all the students who have taken your courses, man, thank, thank you for what you're doing. Uh, like I said, it, it is important and it matters. If, if there's any teachers listening that want to reach out to you and have a question about maybe it's project-based learning or getting communication in their classroom going, or you know they love esports and want to get involved somehow in what's going on, uh, where where would you recommend they reach out to you at uh, to to contact the great PK Graph? <laughs> um, I, I think that t- uh, Twitter is definitely a, a place where people are you know building their PLC professional learning communities. Um, so I think I think it's easiest. I think you can just search PK Graph G R A F F and it'll bring up my my Twitter handle. Uh, it is a little. It is an interesting Twitter handle. Um, I know there's I a lot of ones and numbers. Yeah, and- <laughs> it's uh, T-H-E underscore C-H-3-M-1-S-T. So the chemist. Um, but again, I'm, I'm almost certain if you just search PK Graph, it should. I'm actually doing it right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So if you search PK Graph, it should be the first one that comes up. So that's the easiest way. Um, but if you want to maybe take a more formal approach, uh, feel free to use my district email um, with, with Forsyth County Schools, and that is uh, pgraff, G-R-A-F-F, at forsyth.k12.ga.us. Perfect. Well, again, PK, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I know a lot of people are going to find some serious value in all uh, all that knowledge you just shared. Huge thank you again to PK for joining us this week on the show. If you're interested in getting in touch with PK, I'm going to include his contact information down in the show notes. And if you have enjoyed the shows and you're interested in joining me uh, to share all the amazing things that you are doing as an educator, please reach out to me at teachandcoachga on Twitter or at teachandcoachga at yahoo.com. Again, thank you for listening. Have a great week. Music from bensound.com and called Sunny.